Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 730 of WaveScan for release on Sunday, February 19th, 2023. On WaveScan today, 100 years with the BBC in London. And we'll have the opening of the HFCC A23 Coordination Conference, Frequency Coordination Conference for shortwave, that took place in Tunis, Tunisia. The original BBC, the British Broadcasting Company in London, England, was formally established on November 14, 1922. And that evening, they took over the programming of the Marconi medium wave station 2LO. On the next day, November 15th, the BBC introduced their programming over two more stations, 2ZY in Manchester and 5IT in Birmingham. Those events took place 100 years ago, and on November 14th last year, 2022, the BBC London thus celebrated its illustrious Golden Diamond anniversary, a century of continuous radio broadcasting. Here's Ray Robinson now with our report on 100 years of the BBC. Thanks, Jeff. Earlier that same year, on May the 11th, 1922, the Marconi Company had launched radio station 2LO with 100 watts on 840 kHz on the top floor of Marconi House in the Strand in London. The studios and the transmitter were both in the same room, and two aerial towers stood on the roof. The auspicious BBC inaugural programme in the evening of November the 14th, 1922, consisted of news and announcements, and because of licence stipulations, no music was played. The announcer for that occasion was the newly appointed programme director for the new BBC, Arthur Burroughs. In April 1925, Radio 2LO was transferred from Marconi House to the then 16-year-old Selfridges store in Oxford Street, with a new transmitter at increased power and again with two towers on the roof. Four years later again, in October 1929, another new BBC medium-wave transmitter was taken into service for London and the South East at a new location, Brookmans Park, about 20 miles north of central London. The old and tired 2LO transmitter at Selfridges was taken out of service and unceremoniously dumped in the basement at Brookmans Park. The original 2ZY had initially been installed by Metropolitan Vickers at 57 Dickerson Street in Trafford Park, Manchester, in northwest England, and it was taken into experimental service on May 16, 1922. Like at 2LO, the studios and transmitter were installed in the same room. The aerial system for 2ZY was attached to the chimneys of a nearby electrical power generation plant. The original transmitter emitted 50 watts, though soon afterwards the power was increased to 700 watts and the operational frequency was 793 kHz. Radio station 2ZY was taken over as a BBC relay station with programming on landline from 2LO in London on November 15th, 1920, the very next day after the new British Broadcasting Company was formed. 
The third station in the fledgling BBC network was Station 5IT in Birmingham in the West Midlands, 100 miles northwest of London. However, Station 5IT in Birmingham had an earlier beginning at a different location and with a different call sign. In October 1922, just a few weeks before the BBC took over the three existing radio broadcasting stations in England, the Western Electric Company had launched their own radio station with their own manufactured transmitter at their radio laboratories in inner suburban London. They operated what was described as a well-equipped studio, and they broadcast recorded music under the callsign 2WP. The Western Electric Company was one of the organisations that participated in the founding of the new BBC, the British Broadcasting Company. The new BBC would soon take over the Marconi station 2LO in London, and at that stage an additional broadcasting station in London was not needed. And thus, Western Electric transferred their new radio broadcasting station, 2WP, by steam-operated lorry, or truck, to its new location with General Electric at Witton in Birmingham. On that same auspicious date, November 15, 1922, the relocated 2WP was taken over by the BBC and programmed by landline under a new call sign, 5IT, with 500 watts on 629 kHz. In August 1927, a new station, 5GB at Daventry, with 50 kilowatts on 610 kHz, took over the same coverage area, and the original 5IT was withdrawn from service. As soon as the new BBC took over, plans were laid for the establishment of 17 new medium-wave stations throughout the United Kingdom. Interestingly, two of those stations came on the air under the same call sign. There was station 2LS in Leeds in the northern county of West Yorkshire with 100 watts on 866 kHz, but also station 2LS in Bradford, West Yorkshire, again with 100 watts on 968 kHz. Both were inaugurated on the same date, July 8, 1924. Those two stations were just 10 miles apart, and the Bradford station was considered to be a relay station taking its programme feed from the main station in Leeds. On January 1st, 1927, a royal charter established the British Broadcasting Corporation, which took over all the functions of the British Broadcasting Company. The organisation's initials, of course, remain the same, the BBC. As far as shortwave broadcasting was concerned, on September the 11th of that same year, 1927, Gerald Marcuse was granted approval to broadcast experimental programming over his 1 kilowatt amateur shortwave transmitter G2NM. And then just two months later, on November the 11th, 1927, the BBC began experimental programming over a hastily assembled 10 kilowatt Marconi shortwave transmitter at Chelmsford under the appropriate call sign G5SW. Those experimental broadcasts from shortwave G5SW were deemed successful, and plans were laid for the construction of what was then considered to be a powerful shortwave station. Two shortwave transmitters, each at 15 kilowatts, were installed at Daventry in the English Midlands, together with a series of curtain antennas with reflectors. 
Initial test broadcasts from the Daventry shortwave station began on November the 14th, 1932, under the callsign GSE, indicating an English shortwave station with programming in the Empire Service. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This occasion is as significant as any in the ten years of British broadcasting. It is a significant occasion in the history of the British Empire. How significant, it would be unwise at the moment to forecast. A great deal of experiment has yet to be done. There are many troubles to overcome. Some of these, in the technical sphere, may be worse than is at present realized. From today, however, Programs will be broadcast regularly from the Empire Station. As to programs, don't expect too much in the early days. For some time we shall transmit comparatively simple programs to give the best chance of intelligible reception and provide evidence as to the type of material most suitable for the service in each zone. The programs will neither be very interesting nor very good. We must broadcast material of all sorts and check up zone by zone how it is received and then the program material will be altered so as to give better results. Apart from technical information, we want to know the kind of material you would like to have from us and the time. But please remember the limitations of short wave work, for it may be necessary for you to confine your suggestions to that type of program which experience shows to be capable of good transmission to your own zone. I suppose we are considering primarily those who possess short-wave receiving sets and who are out of touch with local broadcasting organizations. But we shall also expect and welcome requests from overseas broadcasting organizations to relay our programs. And now we send you greetings from London and from Broadcasting House and the BBC in particular and we believe this to be the beginning of an association happy and useful and important in the annals of empire. The BBC celebrated its 100th anniversary on November the 14th last year, 1922, and this item has been in honour of their first network of medium wave stations, 2LO in London, 2ZY in Manchester and 5IT in Birmingham. However, the BBC in London was noted internationally for its shortwave services that began with the station GSE in Daventry on their anniversary date exactly 10 years later, November the 14th, 1932. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. 
Well, here on Wingscan, we regularly cover the twice-yearly High Frequency Coordination Conferences, or HFCCs, where shortwave stations from around the world gather to plan and coordinate frequency schedules for the coming broadcast period. The A23 HFCC conference took place from February 5th to the 9th in Tunis, Tunisia, headquarters of the Arab States Broadcasting Union, ASBU. The ASBU has very recently opened an ASBU hotel right across the street from ASBU headquarters. The ultra-modern hotel was the venue for HFCC A23. We'll have various reports from the conference during the coming weeks here on WaveScan, beginning today with the opening remarks on February 5th. You'll hear three voices during the following minutes. First is Basil Zubi, the Director of Technology for ASBU, followed by yours truly as Chairman of the HFCC Conference. Finally, you'll hear opening remarks from Sri Badra Wagel of the Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Union, ABU. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today we'll uh, start our A23 conference in person. That's very, very important milestone after the COVID attack on the humanity. And with regards to the technology development, we had no illusion that there has been massive changes in the people's methods of consumption. The move to nonlinear has been growing exponentially in the last few years. Yet, the linear remains the dominant media for a few years to come. The rights of information, and no one shall be marginalized, give the short wave the power to reach in every corner of the world without filtering or have one mainstream influence. The ASPU will remain utilizing the broadcast for sh of shortwave for years to come. And at the same time, we are strengthening our presence on the nonlinear platforms. The ASPU has been active in establishing projects that could enhance the members' experience in the production and the news exchange over the cloud. Meanwhile, ASPO is supporting its member in the radio digitization in issuing Arabic common receiver specification for DAB Plus and DRM radio services. Digital radio is picking up a pace in the Arab country, and we expect that pace to continue for the uh, coming decade. Furthermore, we have been engaged in projects to sustain our financial autonomous, and the hotel is one of these products. I, am, I know that you are eager to start your favorite hobby of coordination, so I won't keep you long. Once again, I wish you pleasant stay in my, our beloved hospital in Tunisia. Thank you very much and appreciate your time and your presence in Tunis. Uh, thank you, Basel. Sabah uh, al Salam alaikum. Bonjour, everyone. Good morning. And uh, welcome to this uh, HFCC, ASBU, ABU, Global Coordination Conference here in Tunis at the uh, brand new Asbu Hotel. Um, I think this is about the, the third time that we've tried to have an A conference here in Tunis. 
uh, in recent years, but uh, the last two times we've had a uh, uh, COVID situation. Uh, and finally, we're all back here in Tunisia again, for the first time since 2019, I believe. Um, and thank you to uh, ASBU for uh, welcoming us here in, in Tunis again. Uh, hello to everyone who's uh, joining us via Zoom. Uh, I know, uh, I believe Horst uh, Schultz, our vice chairman, is joining us uh, from Germany. Um, I see Ray Robinson in California, way out there in the middle of the night. <laughs> and uh, and I hope that our Chinese colleagues from RTC are, are joining us as well. Um, they tell us that they might be able to join us in person again at the next conference, and that would be nice. We're here at a time when shortwave broadcasts uh, remain very important for many people around the world, uh, but we're confronting multiple challenges, such as uh, funding problems and difficulties in finding and purchasing tubes and other, other equipment uh, that shortwave uh, transmitters need. And not only the tubes and parts are going up in price, but uh, electricity prices have been skyrocketing in countries around the world. And, and as we know, shortwave transmitters love to use electricity. So all of these increases have risen to the point where station management has been cutting back on transmissions, cutting out certain languages, and uh, reducing transmitter power in order to uh, stay within their budgets. Uh, the management of some stations is considering is continuing shortwave broadcasts altogether since they just don't have the budget to maintain these uh, expensive services. A lot of times uh, station managers and politicians don't understand much about shortwave broadcasting or, or how important these services are to uh, listeners around the world. Uh, and as we all know, it's very difficult to uh, obtain accurate surveys that show just how many people are listening to uh, shortwave and where they're located. Uh, there's also been uh, a lot of reaction here in the Arab world uh, to the BBC Arabic radio going off the air uh, several days ago at the end of uh, January after 85 years of uh, broadcasting. Uh, many listeners uh, here in the Arab countries have been uh, shocked and disappointed because they've We've relied on BBC for news and information for, for decades now. So shortwave broadcasting is not an easy business to be in right now. Uh, whether your funding source is a, a government or a religious organization or a nonprofit or a commercial enterprise of some sort. So we have to be creative in, in convincing the powers that be to keep the funds flowing, keep the stations transmitting. Uh, albeit with some reductions where necessary. And, and we need to show them how shortwave can be an important part of a multimedia strategy that uh, can also include internet, satellite, local radio relays, television, and other platforms such as social media and podcasts. These platforms can be added to information strategies, but shortwave should never be subtracted from them. Successful frequency management is essential to providing an effective shortwave service. Our founder, Ulrich Chip, knew this, and he would be urging us to uh, work harder than ever now uh, when we're confronting so many challenges. So, Shokaram, thank you, and uh, we wish you a successful conference here in Tunis. Sri from uh, ABU, I'd like to say a few words. Thank you.
Um, thank you, Jeff. Uh, it's fortunate that uh, the conference is held in, uh, in person for the second consecutive times in B22 in Sofia and here uh, after a gap of uh, four different conferences, which were held uh, online. But just before that, I remember that the last face-to-face -face meeting uh, before the pandemic broke out was in Kuala Lumpur. The AB was glad to watch that. And I also congratulate and thanks all the uh, delegates who joined in Kuala Lumpur, even in short notice. And of course, uh, during these five days, we look forward to have a successful coordination meeting uh, along, uh, amongst us. Uh, AB is always ready to help uh, the HFCC community. Actually, we are scheduled to host the next year, A23, sorry, A24 conference, but uh, we and as group team, we are discussing about our schedule for the uh, next year, A24. Uh, hopefully, if not A24, A25, we'll be welcoming you in Kuala Lumpur. So we ask uh, all of you to join uh, in, in the coming conference meeting in Kuala Lumpur as well. Uh, not to forget, uh, let's explore the city of Tunis during these days on the sidelines of our conferences. Uh, and of course, let's experience the culture, the beauty here. Uh, and of course, uh, through the excursion, personal excursion in Thursday. Um, and of course, the online uh, audience, I wish you stay safe, stay strong. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Sri Bhadra Wagal of the Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Union with his opening remarks at the HFCC A23 Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference. This is the Voice of Turkey. One day after that conference opened in Tunis, the horrible earthquakes occurred in Turkey and Syria. At the Asbu Hotel, we had four English-language news channels on the in-room televisions. They were France 24, Death toll rises to more than 28,000 after two powerful earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria six days ago. Every survivor rescued from the rubble is considered a miracle. Hello, welcome back to France 24. And Al Jazeera from Qatar. This is what's left of the home Hassan had made with his family. The unimaginable pain of losing a child or loved one is being felt by tens of thousands of people in Turkey this week. Bernard Smith, Al Jazeera, and Takya. And CGTN from China. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Now the news, I'm Su Yi. Chinese authorities say the country has delivered its first supplies to Turkey of earthquake relief. As well as CNN International. Hello, 
and welcome to our viewers all around the world. I'm Linda Kincaid and this is CNN Newsroom. Coming up, more UN aid arriving into earthquake-ravaged parts of Syria. Our new border crossings are being opened up to facilitate the deliveries. We didn't have TRT World Television in the Asbu Hotel, but we did have two engineers from TRT at the HFCC conference planning frequency schedules for the Voice of Turkey. The conference leaders expressed their condolences to those attendees and to the people of Turkey and Syria. Some news now from uh, Glenn Hauser via Wolfgang Buschel's Worldwide Top DX News. RFERL expands broadcast to Afghanistan. Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's programming is now available 24 hours a day for millions of Afghan listeners who've come to rely on the broadcaster in the last two decades. Two months after the Taliban removed RFERL from AM and FM radio transmitters in Afghanistan, Azadi, as RFERL is known locally, is doubling its airtime, providing Afghans with independent news in the Dari and Pashto languages. From 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. local time, Azadi is broadcasting on medium wave on 1296 kilohertz, while during the second half of the day, programming is available on shortwave. This comes on Azadi's 21st anniversary and further solidifies RFERL's role as the only non-governmental radio broadcaster available 24-7 in Afghanistan. In the last two decades, Azadi has become a staple of everyday life. Its mix of news and information is commonly heard in public settings in the country, from marketplaces to taxis. In 2002, the U.S. and the prior government of Afghanistan reached an agreement allowing the U.S. to establish and operate the station on 1296 kHz from Pool e Charki near Kabul. Our expanded programming for Afghan audiences is indicative of the resilience and creativity of our team and their dedication to continue to reach our audiences in Afghanistan, said RFERL President and CEO Jamie Fly. Azadi will now be available for Afghans day and night, he said. We end Wavescan today with folk music from Tunisia. Thanks for listening to Wavescan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week on Wavescan, more radio weddings from Florida's first radio station, WDAE, our Australian DX report, and we'll have more from the HFCC A23 conference in Tunisia. Wavescan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in California, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.